Welcome to the Consumed Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, Going for Broke, part three of the Recapturing the Gospel series by Pastor John. For any further information about this series or the ministries of Consumed Church, you can check us out at theconsumedchurch.com. Thanksgiving's behind us. Christmas is ahead of us. It's an awesome time of year. Often uh, this time of year, I like to review the prophetic words from uh, the beginning of the year, and, uh, but we're not doing that today. <laughs> I just got too much going on in the spirit. Um, we started a series about a month ago called uh, Recapturing the Gospel, and I felt like the more that I unpack it, it just kind of grows, you know, so... Anyways, why don't we just invite the Holy Spirit to bless the Word this morning. Uh, Father, I love you so much. We love you, God. We're so grateful for everything that you do and everything that you've done and loving us uh, so perfectly and sending Jesus to bring us life, exalting Him to the highest place, and Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to be with us, to partner with us, to teach us and to strengthen us and to bring us into all that you've purchased for us by your blood. So we're just grateful, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come and rest heavy on this place, Lord. Rest on this message. Lord, open our eyes to see the gospel of the kingdom of God like we've never seen it before. Lord, give us the strength to, like the song we sang about Uh, speaking to our soul and convincing ourselves to step into the things of God. Holy Spirit, we ask that you give us the ability to lay hold of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, open us up in Jesus' name. Amen. I almost took off in prayer. I was like, wait a minute, i got to (laughs) preach. Oh, bless you guys. Ah. So yeah, we've been talking about the the gospel, and I don't want to go back and relay too much of that foundation, but just the idea that the gospel, uh, the word euangelion is the Greek for the word gospel, it means good news. And um, how many know that that has everything to do with the proclamation? I had built this case the last two times I spoke, but it's a declaration of the powers of one empire or kingdom Uh, that have on the field of battle, there's a king there involved that has defeated uh, enemy forces and actually conquered. And yet the colonization of all the places where that empire will touch is the announcement when the person would show up to a province and say, guess what? Great news. Everything's about to change. The way the laws, the politics, the way of life, your culture, everything is about to shift and a new way of life is coming in. That's, That's a gospel. And man has always preached some kind of a gospel or another. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that has shifted and changed our lives and is in the process of changing everything. And so when we look at the gospel in our relationship to the gospel, I think that the gospel needs to be recaptured or recalibrated, um, the, the foundation of it repaved, so to speak, so that we can embrace our role in the gospel. So we talked a little bit about our relationship to the gospel. Whose responsibility is it to, say, evangelize? Uh, Euangelion, the word gospel is where we get the word evangelism. 
And uh, you were all evangelicals, at least identified that way by the rest of the world. What does that mean? It means that we are carriers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, when we say that the gospel in its simplest form of that euangelion verb there, it's good news, right? We've always heard that it's good news. And uh, as we go into Christmas, we'll be talking about some of the finer things of peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Uh, But today we're talking about the fact that good news is not always good news to everyone because in cultures and places that the old regime are still in place and folks that have partnered with it and have actually found a way of being strengthened in that way of life and found a way of being prosperous and blessed, so to speak, by the way things are. We see this in modern politics. Every time winds blow in and stuff changes, certain groups of people don't like it because things go a different way. Well, it's the same way with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but even more so. So even though it may be good news, it's not good news to everyone necessarily. Y'all get that? So, um, who is it good news to? And in pondering this idea, the Lord took me to the Beatitudes. You know, sometimes we think that the Beatitudes... um, Well, actually, the Beatitudes are just a a, a strange, even the word Beatitude. How many people have got a good grip on what what Beatitude means? Right? (laughs) So the the Beatitudes, though, is a declaration of the kingdom of God. You realize that in Matthew, the first place in the gospel, uh, the first gospel, that we see Jesus arrive on the scene after the birth and the lineage stuff that uh, talks about Jesus' pedigree, so to speak, to prove that he's the Messiah, the promised coming king, the Savior, Savior being a term for the king that won in the field of battle and is changing everything. That's the sense that we need to understand Savior in. Jesus came in the book of Matthew. Jesus came and he demonstrated. Before he really did much preaching, he demonstrated the kingdom of God. He demonstrated the gospel. And last time I spoke, two weeks ago, I had spent some time going over that fact that this recapturing the gospel will be a gospel of demonstration. The revival, the wave of God that I know that's coming, that is already here, so to speak, but this recapturing of the things that, uh, the finer things of the gospel that to me have been somewhat washed out in our culture that with it is coming a demonstration. And that's what Jesus did, right? Because His gospel is love and peace and healing and restoration, but it's actually bringing the kingdom of God. And I think that when we look at Matthew, Matthew uses the verbiage kingdom of heaven. And with that language, we've kind of lost some of the understanding and turned it more into a myopic or internal version of the gospel that's all about my personal salvation and going to heaven when we die and without repaving that foundation because I've done a lot of preaching in that department it's not that it's that the kingdom of God the presence of God the place where God the father reigns is actually coming to earth and taking over and transforming everything so that the real Christian hope is not so much about going to heaven when you die every other religion is about that But the real Christian hope is about a resurrection and everything that we see that is broken, God will redeem and restore. 
And that's the part of the gospel that seems to get watered down and be mostly taken internally. And I felt like I had a dream, and I don't remember if I've shared this dream already, but recently, uh, that kick-started this whole entire series. But I, I saw that I was there with the Lord, and I saw the earth. And I think I talked about the earth and man's original um, image-bearing mandate. Now, you'd have to go back two services to the Thanksgiving message to hear that I'm not going to rebuild that story, but the earth has always been part of our um, mandates, part of our vocation in God, our image-bearing to bear His image, meant to fill the earth and subdue it, meaning to seize upon all of its resources to bring it all to fruition. And that can only be done really in and through Christ. And man has always been doing that, right? But I had this vision of like the ground, like dirt. And many of you that are in my home group and stuff have heard this vision already. But uh, it was, I saw water being poured out. It was like taking a glass of water and just throwing it on the ground. And then I saw oil, like a glass of oil being thrown out in the same spot. And they both hit the ground. And they seeped into the ground and kind of disappeared. It just went into the ground. And the Lord said, I'm pouring out water, water of the Spirit, anointing, anointing oil, and I'm tired of it just going into the ground. And he said, I'm bringing a cement mixer full of concrete, and it's coming. And I don't want to beat up the construction metaphor, but those of you that may know something about construction... Before you build a house or a building, there has to be a foundation poured. Well, the foundation, the, 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 how many know when the cement mixer shows up, uh, it's, that cement is hot and it's being mixed. It has to be poured. It's going on the ground. That's what the Lord said. I am doing something and it's going to look like a cement truck backing up. And he said, I'm needing you guys to get the preparation for the foundation ready so in that you know you have to dig holes and tie steel together for the piers to go down into the bedrock you have to take the steel and wire it all together so that the concrete doesn't break up so if you've already heard that dream humor me but this is the context of what i'm talking about is getting ready for this wave of the Spirit, this glory of God that is to be demonstrated, the kingdom of God being demonstrated. Any, amen. Anybody up for that? Yes. All right. Well, you know what? You're steel. And God is going to bend you a little bit and tie you together with others so that you will be able to hold the concrete. So that when the water and the oil gets poured out, it actually has something to land on instead of being seeped in. So I, I take that seeping into the ground uh, just the way in which often we internalize the gospel and we don't actually allow it to then, I mean, it's good to internalize, don't get me wrong, but it also needs to be a foundation for other people, for all of the world. So Jesus said, talking about heaven, he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he went around doing. And then he touched people and paralytics, deaf ears, began to hear, blind eyes were opened. Uh, there was no sickness, no disease, no brokenness that was off limits. He could, he could heal anybody of anything. 
And according to Matthew's gospel, his explanation for that is that the kingdom of heaven is right here. It's not up there somewhere we're going to fly away, but rather it's very close, close enough you can touch it. It's, there's a veil there right now, but how many know that that world is coming here? And it's just putting your hand through the veil and pulling it through. In heaven, there's no sickness, there's no death, there's no grieving. Hallelujah. Ah, newness of life. So I looked at the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes, I'm going to call them this. I, I changed the name of this message like eight times. <laughs> I almost went with global, or not global, gospel positioning system, GPS, and I thought, well, that's probably been done a lot. I, I, you know, it, it almost feels not weighty enough, a little too corny, you know. But there is this positioning system of the Beatitudes when Jesus makes this declaration of, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I was thinking, all right, Lord, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to plow through the Beatitudes. And the Lord said, nope, I want you to talk about poor in spirit. I was like, oh, okay. One of my favorite subjects. But what does it mean to be poor in spirit? So we get the... The word beatitude, as weird as that is, it's a, it comes from a Latin word, uh, beatus, or beatus. That's probably a, it means blessed. Um, it doesn't mean like, uh, never mind. <laughs> I thought of a funny, it's not so funny. It's just funny, beer. <laughs> I don't know if anybody watches uh, stupid videos, but uh, like on social media, but there was a guy that, they were making fun of the way he said diabetes is diabetes. But anyways, beatus. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, beatus, it means to be blessed. That's a Latin word. That's where we get the word beatitudes. Um, and the blessed word there is makarios in the Greek. And it means wonderful news or fortunate or well off. Now, how many of you heard that that blessed word was called, uh, described as happy. Like one way you could look at it is happy, but happy is probably not right because it's like Jesus being schizophrenic. Well, you're crying, but you're really happy. It, it doesn't mean happy. It means that a happy, favorable situation has landed upon you. He's literally saying, here's your positional statement right here as far as those that the kingdom of God is good news for. Does that make sense? So we say, who, whose news? Who, the, the good news of the gospel, who, who's, who's it good for? And Jesus says, you're in good shape. You're like ready to go. You're fortunate or well off, greatly positioned. It means like to be celebrated or envisioned or enviously looked upon as having arrived at a happy state or situation. So back in the day, Makarios uh, was used as a way to uh, look at wealthy people or people that had, were successful or strong or whatever uh, in society, and the rest of society would look and say, uh, Makarios, they're living the dream. Does that make sense? And Jesus redefines that as the kingdom of God is coming. It's going to change everything. 
And those of you that are in these categories are good to go. So our text is Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's something about being poor in spirit uh, that avails us to the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. Isn't that exciting? So the name of the sermon is Going for Broke. And my, my three points are fitment, forward focus, and finish. So I want to talk about the fitment first. What does it mean to go for broke or to be poor of spirit? First and foremost, it is about fitment. It's you're fit for the kingdom. And this is how you're fit for the kingdom. Humility is a big part of this. I think that we spend a lot of energy in the body of Christ working over the definition of salvation. How do we get saved? What does it mean to be saved? What steps do you have to take? Um, my version versus your version. That's not salvation. No, this is salvation. Faith versus, you know, uh, works. Grace versus work. You know, all of this discussion about what it means to be saved. And I think last time I spoke, I, I spent some time talking about um, human nature. And there's, there's part of people's way of understanding the gospel that has everything to do with uh, total depravity. Like you are not able to do anything apart from God. And now that's true as far as not able to do anything apart from God, but it has with it in the total depravity department, uh, which is something that has seasoned the gospel, so to speak, with a flavor that we need to boot out. It's not that you in of yourself are wicked, evil, whatever, that that's why you need saving. Now, God created us to be carriers of his presence. So that some places Paul calls it corruptible, right? I think it's 1 Corinthians like 15 says, this corruptible must put on incorruption. There's this idea going on there that we are able to go one way or the other way because we're actually made to carry something. We're actually made to carry the kingdom of heaven, which is God's very presence. So that's the difference. And once we see and understand that, it, it actually shifts our understanding somewhat from this position of, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Lucky to be here. And we rightfully would give God all the glory and honor and praise and call Him sovereign and all those amazing things. But yet He's actually made you beautiful originally. And in Christ Jesus, He's redeemed us to our original vocation and plan of being image bearers, which is prescriptive and not descriptive. It's what we're called to do. It's who we were made to be. Shortly after I, I uh, became the pastor here, it was a stressful season. 
I'm going to admit right up front, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just obeying and following the voice of the Lord. And <laughs> under, under duress, you know, there was a lot of stress and all that. And uh, I had what's called a heart sink. Part of being a catch-the-fire pastor is that once a year, they, they don't require a whole lot out of us, but this they do, that you'll go get some type of uh, freedom ministry or inner healing ministry um, so that you just stay cleaned up on the inside, you know, stay fresh. Well, I had a heart sink. Has anybody heard of a heart sink? Karen is a, is a heart sink uh, administrator. How do you say that? What, are you a teacher? or qualified. qualified to do heart sink. Okay. She's gone through the training. They do a lot of training. Anyways, it was like a vacation for my spirit. It was so amazing. Um, I just met Jesus afresh and anew. It was like you know, John's left the building. It was, it was really incredible. But after I came out and the Lord had done all this ministry to me, as I kind of came out of the session, I was like, Lord, wait a minute. I had your attention so clearly. I could just hear him, you know, uh, so clearly. Just look at him right in the face. I said, I need some uh, help here, some direction for leading this church. And he gave me three things. But one of the things he said to me was that um, stop having arguments that the church isn't having. You guys, we get in a lot of arguments and wear stuff out that that's just not what God's talking about. It's got nothing to do with the gospel. Christ, he himself, he's the message. The, the last time that I spoke about the subject matter of being poor in spirit, Maybe that's why I was like, oh, God, are we doing that again? Uh, it was a little over a year ago, but I had been around Heidi Baker. Does anybody know who Heidi Baker is? There's someone who's poor in spirit. Someone had, you know, had lots of money and had been to seminary and uh, real pedigree in her um, background. And uh, she threw all that away to drop esteem and everything that the world would say was something valuable, to go and be in the poorest part of the whole, the poorest, sickest, most broken place on the earth, to sit in the dirt with people and love on them. And uh, I was at a um, conference where she was and she was speaking, and that's one of her things is he is the message. So sometimes she doesn't have a, you know, three points in a, in a summary. She just... Tapping in to, to Christ, you know. And uh, man, when she releases it in the room, she might take two hours to get there. But when the Holy Spirit shows up, if, if you're ready and you're waiting, oh man, and I got so touched. I mean, touched isn't even a good word. I got electrocuted in the Holy Spirit there. And it went on and on and on, like all night, didn't sleep. My whole body just shaking. Brad and Sylvia were there, they know. They, they thought it was funny. I don't know it was funny. It was, it was different. Like I've had the Lord touch me physically where uh, I laughed or maybe cried. This was like, ah. Fusion, that's a good word. But it all centered around the subject matter of being poor in spirit. And when she had shared her message, Steve Owings had laid a hand on me and said, break his heart for what breaks yours, Lord. And man, it came like a ton of bricks. Wasn't, wasn't expecting that at all. 
So yeah, as I was getting ready for this one, I was like, oh Lord, that was so like, oh, in my belly, you know, I, I don't know if I could get up from that again like that, but I'm going to try to convey this message, okay? So let's look at Matthew 11 while we're talking about Matthew. Verse 25. Nice graphic, Noel. Talking about fitment, lowly in heart is the yoke. In this passage, starting in verse 25, Jesus says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. At this point in the, in the story in Matthew, he'd had quite a bit of rejection. Even John the Baptist, this chapter 10 was John the Baptist saying, or, is it you or are we waiting for somebody else? I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent. That means like very intelligent. Nothing wrong with being intelligent, but our intelligence needs to be subject to this humility of spirit. And you revealed them to babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And this is a, a popular couple of verses here. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hallelujah. Take my yoke upon you. That doesn't sound very restful though. <laughs> and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, there's a way in which we can look at those last couple of scriptures and go, oh, well, I'm just going to lean into the Lord and receive how light it is. Well, that's true. And take a rest. And that's true. But he's actually saying that he is the one who is gentle and lowly in spirit. So that this idea of poor in spirit is actually an attribute of the way that Christ himself is. There's a yoke. That's that being the one who carries the presence of God. That you can't separate those last two verses from the ones above it about knowing the Father and the Father knowing the Son. Revealing Him to babes and hiding Him from people that are just too smart for their own good. <laughs> I think sometimes we just make it too complicated. Uh, the gospel needs to be demonstrated. What reaches people more than anything is that all of the expressions and outflow of our life actually looks like we believe that everything's about to change and that the king of the universe has already won the battle and it impacts everything from one end to the other. But you know, you can't really embody that without this carrying his presence aspect of it. Amen.
So anyways, fitment. It's all about being fitted and being teachable. Sometimes we need constant calibration. It's funny, every time uh, I remember thinking for a long time of all of the foundation that I had from reading the Bible for 30 years, 20, 30 years, and I was confronted with like Bethel Church and their message about uh, on earth as in heaven. And that is what we're talking about here versus this idea of uh, being rescued and going to heaven and not, not actually uh, having to experience a, a life in hell. You know, that's, that's, there's a shift in the way that they preach the gospel. And I remember I was reading authors like N.T. Wright, Kingdom Theology is what I'm teaching you right now. And it's what we're about as a church. And Kingdom Theology uh, is what Catch the Fire is about. We're, we say we're kingdom people. But I remember when I was confronted with that truth, I had to shift. I had to calibrate. My, it's like my deck had to go, you know, I had to shuffle and, and check all of my, my foundation and go, is, it, is there room in my biblical worldview? Is there room in my foundation? And what do I need to shift and do? Well, guess what? That's part of being poor in spirit is always being pliable in the Lord's hands. We're always disciples. We're always learning. There, we'll never get to a place. Sometimes, you know, we can spend a lot of years in, in uh, Bible college and teaching or whatever. The guy that I sat under for 20 years was like a professor. I, you know, I felt like I had somewhat plateaued in my understanding, like, I got it down. I know what this stuff means. And then I hear about uh, Bill Johnson and Bethel Church and N.T. Wright and this whole other way of thinking about the kingdom of heaven coming here, not us going there. And it just, it offended me somewhat. You know what I mean? There's something about our intelligence factor that gets offended uh, when we discover something that we didn't previously know, especially in the spiritual department. And that's why the Lord says, step number one, those of you that are ready. That's why the religious culture of Jesus' day couldn't hang. The kingdom of God is coming and it's good news for who? The poor in spirit. First one, poor in spirit. It's really good news for everybody, but those that are able, that are in a good position, they're fit, they're ready to receive it are those that are poor in spirit. You know, when I first got saved, it was so simple. It wasn't like, oh, I even have to challenge the, the verbiage when I got saved. How many people say that? Oh, y'all are good. You don't say that too much. <laughs> but I remember when I encountered Christ and I surrendered my life to Christ and the kingdom of God came into my world forcibly and beautifully. Everything changed. It was just so wonderful. I, I remember waking up. See, I'd been in all kinds of bondage and that was because of my sin because I had chosen to partner with other. I was carrying other things. Pretty good at it too. I could carry a whole bunch of the underworld right into any situation. I'm very sorry if anyone ever knew me back then. But the kingdom of heaven had crashed in on me when I just said yes to the Lord because he was always pursuing me. And I turned around and stopped running from him. And it was just so simple. I would wake up in the morning. And I remember I'd go, oh, good morning, Jesus. Thank God. 
Thank God that your presence is here. It was such a dramatic difference from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That life was, was just wonderful. I mean, colors look different. I had never seen color before. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I thought I'd seen color. I thought I knew what green and blue and red was. I really didn't. Man, after I'd had that encounter with God, I remember going outside and going, wow, everything's green. <laughs> That's what happens when God's presence encounters someone is that they are able to see beyond the veil what is really real. The true humanity that we've been given in Jesus Christ. What it means to be really human. I remember I could smell stuff. I could taste stuff. I didn't know that tasted like that. I didn't know that smelled so good. And it was just, I had that, just like a kid, I had that simplicity, very teachable. I was like, and, and to this day, I've learned that this is the thing. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's the best position to have. Like, Lord, I need you to show me. And so I actually spent my days, I would get up in the morning and I wouldn't do anything until I felt like heaven had touched down. I just wouldn't move. I'd sit there in my, I had a recliner. I'd sit there in my recliner, read the word, pray. I prayed over everything. And the Lord taught me I was teachable. I know that to even encounter the kingdom of God, there has to be this ability to be teachable. So that's, that's being fit. That's being poor in spirit. I felt like I didn't know anything but him. I remember listening to Christian radio and going, what in the world? Because <laughs> on Christian radio, people just different people with different opinions just pay money to be on there. So it was like all these different opinions about what's going on in Christendom. And it, I was very confused. But I just go back to that place where his presence was. Okay, so fitment and forward. Uh, forward facing is what I mean. Forward focused. Often when we talk about salvation and we talk about the gospel and the kingdom coming, uh, it, it is that myopic view that talk about our past like I just did. It was, you know, that moment that that happened. And yet what's really going on here to be poor in spirit is not looking backwards so much as it is pressing forward. Always looking forward. Never being satisfied with the way that we see things right now. Because everything is going to change. We're always reaching forward for the powers of the age to come. Did a series on the end times, I don't know, a couple months ago. So I'm not going back to pave that again, but that's what we're talking about. I almost call the message Back to the Future. Because the future came backwards in Jesus Christ to actually deposit things from the future for us to carry until the day when that future is fully manifested. That's the kingdom of heaven that we're waiting for. Not on some other galaxy or anything like that, but right here on earth. Right? The meek, happy, in a good position, fit, ready for the kingdom of God are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. You know, the reason why Matthew uses the word kingdom of heaven was that it was a, a Jewish practice to be so reverent uh, with God's name 
that kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are synonymous. It's the same thing. But because of the kingdom of heaven language, it's very easy to make it all about whether or not I'm going to be say, you know, uh, go to heaven or, or not when I die. Okay, Philippians chapter 3. Here's Paul's version of being poor in spirit. If you were to read the whole chapter of Philippians 3, it would get you there. But for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But Paul's just gone through his argument about, hey, if, we, if anybody's got anything to brag about, man, it was me. I've got some skins on the wall because of trophies. Pharisee of the Pharisees, on and on and on, right? In verse 7, he says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ." Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. This is what I want to focus in on. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Something about that statement doesn't sound like the past tense of, well, when I got saved, even though we know that there's a moment when we are born again, when we are born of the Spirit. What I'm saying is that salvation is more than just the born again, born of the Spirit encounter. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Here, verse 10, I've got 10 through 14 all underlined. I don't know if those are underlined though. that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means, what a strange statement, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. His hope is all about the resurrection from the dead. He's pointing down the road and going, I'm not there yet. What we're waiting for is for resurrection. All of Christianity, our hope is actually in a resurrection. That our bodies, in Romans 8, says that even our bodies are groaning, waiting for the redemption of our bodies. The Spirit groans inside of us. Paul goes on to say, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected by a press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Future focused. I just feel like that sometimes in our preaching of the gospel, it's about a moment when we had received Christ, when we were born again, and we don't Keep it going necessarily. I know y'all don't. Y'all are all on fire. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. But there's this cultivation of a poverty of spirit this, uh, that, that we should be aware of, that we should always. That's not something that we ever outgrow. That's a, it's a forever thing. I can't get enough. That's why we say more, Lord. The world, I st- you know, we look out and we see the world and the world is still broken. People are still dying of cancer. 
People are still so mad at each other over the dumb stuff that they don't speak. People still have mental illness. We're not done yet. God is always leading us into more. When I uh, started my business, I remember getting, uh, hearing this story too about other businesses, but getting in the place where I got a building, I got my equipment, I, I think I know everything about my field, which I pretty much did. I had been an expert forever. And then nothing. And uh, the, I remember some paint reps would tell me, yeah, people do that. They got money and they buy a building and they do all the stuff and then they get all set up and then they stand there and watch cars go by. And they don't understand. It doesn't work like that. And I discovered real quick, I would go in there and Lauren quit her job and join me. And I'd say, well, I'll fix the cars and you get them in here. And I remember I made her cry over that because she's like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> And I said, well, you're an office person. Isn't that what office people do? I mean, just make some calls or get on the Internet or something. And she's like, ah, I don't know how this works. And, and I, I got convicted. I was like, oh, well, I don't either. <laughs> right back to the place where I was like, okay, God told me to do this. Oh, I get it. Back in that position. I thought I knew everything about this. I don't. There's this God factor of there's we can do what we can do, and then there's all this stuff that only God can do. And you only get there through being able to get in that position to get low and go, oh God, I need you to do what you can do. And he's faithful. You know why? Because he's always taking us into more. He's taught me how to do lots of things, and I've realized that what he's doing, we always like to get comfortable in our field of Knowledge and, and our ability to provide or whatever to make a life for ourselves. But guess what? All of that stuff is God is calling us into more regularly. You can change. You can step into anything that God calls you to do. Because he puts you in that place and he says, I'm, I'm yoking you up. And I'm, I'm going to do what I can do, but you got to do what you can do. And that's to get low. And to be pliable and teachable. That's why it matters that we get in relationship together and do the discipleship accountability thing. Sometimes folks, they, they, they just don't grow because they're not teachable. They, I've got this figured out. I don't know about what you're saying there, preacher. All right, last point, finishing the job. Hmm. How many of you ever heard the gospel or the coming of the kingdom of God described in terms of the second exodus? Theologians talk about this. Matthew's gospel, he's actually painted the picture that way for us, right? That... Christ the Messiah, the promised one, like Moses, he's the second exodus. Realize that even the name Jesus comes from the same root as Joshua, which means deliverer. So when we talk about deliverer, savior, there's this element about it. It's not just about taking away my guilt and shame from all the things I've done and making me free and clear. There's this marching along of 
taking you to the promised land. Right? So we see in the Exodus that there was this release from slavery. And you see in, uh, I think, chapter 2, Matthew goes out of his way to talk about how Jesus had to flee from Herod and actually went into Egypt with Joseph and Mary. And then he says, uh, what is it, 2.15, out of Egypt I've called my son, proving that that was a prophetic fulfillment. But he's saying more than just the cute fact that Jesus had to go to Egypt and back. He's talking about the children of Israel and Jesus becoming the fulfillment of everything that Israel was. Right? Coming out of Egypt, they were baptized, Paul says, baptized in the sea, right? As they went through, they were baptized into Moses. They went through the water. Jesus was baptized. If you go in Matthew and you watch, uh, you read chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, you see Jesus uh, coming out of Egypt. He's baptized, and then he goes into the wilderness. It's the second exodus taking them into the land of promise, taking us all into the land of promise, bringing the promised land here, which is the kingdom of God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, some of you may or may not remember, it's the point where the children of Israel get to the Jordan and Moses gives them all the information about a covenant, the new covenant of what it's going to be like to be in the new land. Blessings for doing it this way, there's curses involved to do it that way, but there's a covenant. So this is the new covenant Jesus is doing, right? As he's bringing us into the kingdom of God, the promised land. I, everybody, I know that was a little bit heady, but is everybody still with me on that? Okay. Spreading of the gospel is the manifestation of the kingdom on earth as in heaven, often impeded by a sense or a posture of having arrived already. In the book of Joshua, no, sorry, it's the book of Judges. So go to Judges chapter 2. This covenant that he made gets brought back up. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. That was Jesus, by the way. <laughs> Anytime we see a theophany in the Old Testament, it was actually Christ, the deliverer. That the angel went with them. I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers, and I said... I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive, out, drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words, to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. If you back up just a little bit in Judges chapter 1, it talks about them all, the different tribes, seizing their land and getting their inheritance. And like Judah and Simeon, I think, got theirs and did it the way the Lord asked by driving out the inhabitants of the land. 
laying hold of the promise. Think of it in that terms. And then it goes off to say, well, but Manasseh and, and the rest of them, one after another, they didn't totally drive them out. They kind of got a little lazy. And they allowed the, the uh, inhabitants to stay there. They just put them under tribute rather than driving them out of the land. In other words, they stopped short. They felt like, ah, we're here. It's all good. We've attained. We've already arrived. And the Spirit of the Lord, Jesus, the Deliverer, said, what are you doing? Why? Why did you do that? You get this close and then stop. And I wonder if we don't do the same thing. If, if all of our understanding of salvation is all about the moment when we got saved and it's all internal about us and it's not actually about the promised land coming, the kingdom of God coming on earth and transforming everything for everybody. Somebody else's role to be an evangelist. I'm not into that. I, I like to preach or I'm more of a hospitality person or whatever, but it's actually all of ours. Get this. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 2. Verse 10, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, in other words, Joshua, it talked about Joshua dying. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. I can't help but wonder if the way in which the gospel is not being too effective in America anymore, that there's a generation that doesn't know the Lord. And if it's only myopic. If people aren't seeing that the expression of everything about our life is actually preaching that the kingdom of God is coming rather than, oh, it's okay, you don't have to go to hell. That's not the gospel. When the gospel was originally preached, people were running towards harm. Me next. It had to be about the way the message was told or the message itself. I don't think that if we told him, well, you know, Christ died for your sins and that's the extent of it, that you can have peace inside, that people are going to go, and you don't have to go to hell when you die, that people are going to go, oh, me next. Hang me upside down and nail me by the feet. No. This news was so explosively good that they were signing up for martyrdom. Ah, oh, Lord help me. <laughs> okay, I think I'm done. I think that there's an invitation from the Holy Spirit today, though, for us to check our heart and just go, Lord, where have I? Why don't we all stand up? Lord, where have we settled? Where have we fallen short of being stretched? Lord, where do we need to calibrate? So that we can see your kingdom coming in power, Lord, to see it demonstrated. Lord, nothing short 
of your presence filling us, embodying us, and demonstrating the kingdom of heaven coming, Lord, will do anymore. God, make us like Paul. We're not satisfied, Lord, with any other thing than the resurrection. The moment when everything is fully made new. Lord, we set our sights on that day, Lord, on that moment. When your kingship and your lordship is completely and finally established in every heart and every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Lord, we just ask, Holy Spirit, oh, that we be pliable and soft in your hand, Lord. Beyond my ability to communicate, Holy Spirit, would you come Show us what it means, Lord, to be poor in spirit. To go for broke. Lord, we want to go for broke. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.